Well, as you were sharing, Jen, this image in my mind came of like the space re-entry process, you know, where you're like in a, you're out like in from outer space. space. <laughs> outer, yeah, exactly. Space, space. You're out there, you're, you're an astronaut, you're having your own experience for, you know, two years or more. And then you reach that point where you have to re-enter, you know, the earth, gravity, like things that you can't avoid, truths that are just undeniable. And it's like fiery. It's like bumpy. And you actually don't know where you'll land. Hi, I'm Lara Dolch, and you're listening to She Knows the Way, a show about deciding what's next when doing what's expected no longer feels right. That was Michaela Ayers. And the voice that chimed in to confirm that Michaela was talking about space space was Jennifer McCord. Jennifer is an audio producer. She edits and co-produces She Knows the Way with me. And Michaela is an anti-racism facilitator, friend of the show, and most recently a client. In March, Jennifer and I helped Michaela launch her podcast, Black Her Stories. So I guess you could say we're co-workers. And like many co-workers, we've shared bits of ourselves and our lives as we work together. I was craving a conversation with these two beautiful humans about how things are going as we emerge back into the world. I, for one, have kind of thrown myself into it over the past few weeks, and it's been, well, strange and wonderful. One thing I do want to call out here, Michaela, Jennifer, and I have been lucky to work remotely for most of the last two years, so we've had lots of options for how to stay safe. While I'm grateful for that, I want to acknowledge that your experience and the experiences of those close to you may have been different, and that your experience of emerging may feel different as well. Anyway, I'll let you listen in as Michaela, Jennifer, and I share our stories of connecting with new people, navigating difficult conversations with people we've lost touch with, how a sense of place and belonging is impacting our decisions about what's next, and how reconnecting with ourselves is helping us stay grounded through all of the messy awkwardness of re-emergence. I'm guessing you'll recognize some of yourself in our experiences. You know, we're all in this interesting time where we're all kind of emerging from this cocoon of COVID. Obviously, it's still ongoing. But, you know, I personally have found it really interesting observing my own reactions to coming back out into the world and also those around me. And so I'm curious with you all, like, how has that been for you? I would say being out in the world feels both like there's this hesitation to engage and to be close and to be in crowds. You know, there's this kind of pre-calculation that I'm doing that I didn't do in the pre-COVID times that is kind of like a, almost like a parrot on my shoulder when it comes to social spaces or even professional spaces. But at the same time, there is that drive and desire to be close to people and engage with people in a way that's not just transactional. And so I find myself kind of teeter-tottering in between those two worlds like so many people. But at the same time, it's like when I do get to experience a moment of lightness, uh, a moment of connection with somebody who I don't know, there is like a thrill (laughs) that I think I would have taken for granted a year and a half ago 
or before before the pandemic actually I feel like those types of really sweet human moments I've come to really really enjoy yeah, I love that image of having something on your shoulder. I can totally relate to that. Like, I feel like there's this tape running in the background that's sort of calculating, is it safe? Is it not safe? Even though my conscious mind is like very excited to be out and seeing people that I don't know and people that I do know, there's this second tape running always. It sucks energy out of the interactions, right? And it, it's like, I feel exhausted in a way that I didn't didn't used to. What, what about you, Jen? D- does that sound familiar to you as well? It, it does. And I'm sort of, I'm trying to fact check myself. Like I absolutely relate to this. And as we're talking about like the tape running in the background, I'm coming off of specifically a weekend where I, it was like a big, you know, a, a big spend of risk <laughs> this weekend. I went to a wedding. I think they maybe had like an outdoor hope at one point, but they had an indoor plan and the wedding was indoors. I mean, the indoors in general have been um, one of the last frontiers in my sort of like socializing territories that I am even like entertaining the idea of going into. I, I think I just like made a choice heading into the weekend where I was like, okay, I feel like because this is like an isolated event and because, you know, I was comparing case counts where I live and where I was going and where I was staying all the time and they were all, you know, well below 10 per 100,000 you know, the lowest they've been in years. And I think I just compartmentalized it as, okay, this is the kind of thing that I've been like saving up all my COVID chips for. (laughs) And yeah, I think I was able to just sort of feel like I was on vacation from COVID for the weekend. (laughs) We'll see if that works out. Or I think I have two more days to make sure I don't have symptoms emerge. But actually the discomfort was like less the tapes running about the safety because I felt like I had already just like cross that off as handled in some way or out of my control and more like how do I show up as like a full and transformed version of myself or even how do I sum up sort of like who I am and what I'm up to lately and I don't know there I think that for me is like the more awkward part of emerging right now there's just a part of it that's just been really hard for me of like who who is it who's leaving the house Mm. (laughs) yeah and I I I can totally see that too. It's like, you know, we've, because again, we've all been hidden from each other for two years, but life has gone on and things have happened in everyone's lives. And like, how do you talk about that? This time away has definitely made me think about the moment of introduction more perhaps than I did in a previous time. Um, one, because, you know, if they're wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, I have to really pay so much more attention to making eye contact and, trying to recognize this person again (laughs) in the potential that I see them without a mask on. So there's this extra level of attention, but then there's this other level of like, how can I present myself in a way to this person that they really see me and hear me and what I'm about? I definitely notice that the moment of introduction seems to be increasingly important. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I'm curious if you have like a specific conversation that you can remember that happened recently where that kind of came up and how you how you navigated it. I often introduce myself as an anti-racism facilitator because that's the identity when it comes to my work that I find just like comes out most fluidly. And oftentimes, you know, I might be the first person that that person has met who does this job. And so the conversation can go a few different paths. 
It could go like, what is that? What do you do? What does your day-to-day look like? Another path is them telling me about their experiences with racism. Or another path is just genuine curiosity. Just like, wow, I've never met anyone who has this job and it's cool what you do. And, you know, so I feel like that is why the introduction platform maybe feels especially interesting to me because I feel like I don't have a maybe typical role or I don't want to say traditional, but I think it is a role that or a title that not a lot of people hear all the time. Post-2021, more people are aware and conscious of the racism that's around them every day. And so the stories are, you know, a lot more tangible and a lot more personal for them. And so I think that's where that well comes from um, in terms of them just needing an outlet. And now the person standing in front of them who that's what I do. And so that I think that's especially what I've noticed. Yeah, totally. I, I, that's, that's interesting to hear that change in, in other people. And, and for you, like, how does it feel? Well, did you introduce yourself that way prior to 2021? I did. Yeah. Okay. Who does it feel different for you? I think it feels the same. Um, It's just the stories. I think the stories are a little different and like the, maybe the level of empathy that people have is different Mm -hmm. because the whole world saw what happened to George Floyd, right? It's like there's a level of sensitivity that everyone has now to the experience of being racialized. I want to underline Michaela's point here. It's easy to use the pandemic as shorthand for what it is we're emerging from. But it's really everything the last two years have shown us, including the way so many of our structures and institutions perpetuate racism. Racism is nothing new, and neither is Michaela's work. But Michaela's experience reminds me that how we talk about racism now has changed a lot. I also want to zoom in on what Michaela calls the moment of introduction. Those first few moments of interaction with a stranger are the foundation of any relationship that grows from that meeting. And now, more than ever, those moments feel electric with potential. How might we be more intentional? more fully embody ourselves or invite others in at those moments of introduction. Actually, I was going to throw a question to you, Lara, because I know that you were just at two conferences. So what was networking like? Because that is like a whole nother beast. And so I'm curious how that felt for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So the first one that I went to was a 2000 person conference and it was one that I was speaking at and I'm very grateful that I didn't speak until the last day because my energy was just super weird the first two days like and I what I mean by that is I just didn't feel like myself I felt like really just sort of out of sorts and like why am I here and the way that I handled connecting with new people was just by paying attention to what my body was telling me and what I needed in order to stay centered. Mm -hmm. So I would, you know, go in for a couple of sessions. And if I felt overwhelmed, I would go hang out in my room for 30 minutes or, you know, in the lobby in a corner or whatever. And then I would do it again. And I just sort of, it was baby steps, you know, and that worked really well. I mean, you know, and we were lucky because this particular venue was attached to the hotel we were staying in. So I could sort of easily move between the two. And I think that was, the way that I was able by by the end of day two to actually show up in a way that felt more authentic to who I remember being, <laughs> you know, in these situations before the pandemic. And by day three, you know, I was able to 
be on stage and be comfortable and confident in in the value that I was adding and the conversation that we were having on this panel discussion. And but I didn't probably connect with as many people as I would have, you know, prior to this. And that was okay. Even if I only make a meaningful connection with one or maybe two people, great. That's fine. I don't need to have like a, a list of a hundred new contacts. Like that's never my goal. Right. It's to connect with the right people. And and I find that ultimately that happens anyway if I allow it to. And that was the case this time. It was just more my energy management. I had to be a little bit more aware of than normal because of that extra tape running in my head. You know, and they they checked vaccination status and most people were not wearing masks. And like you, Jen, I had just sort of made the calculus that, okay, this is what I'm doing. (laughs) Right. Yeah, like here I am in this city where I told people I would be. So totally. I guess, yeah. 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 Sounds like you yeah. just ripped the bandaid off and just did it. And I appreciate that. I respect that. It's like exposure therapy or something. <laughs> yeah. As you're talking about self as like a recognizable self, I'm I'm just intrigued about this sort of tension between like um, wanting to re- yeah recover the selves we know and love and have really been missing you know that haven't gotten a chance to like you know throw down their dance moves or whatever <laughs> for, the, for the last couple years and also like not wanting to ignore the fact that like we have inevitably changed this tension Jennifer is talking about between wanting those old familiar parts of yourself to show up and throw down their dance moves while honoring the person you are now after a difficult two years. I feel that. How do you stay true to who you are and evolve into the next version of yourself? And who do you bring along with you on that journey? We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get into how we're approaching reconnection and repair with friends who have drifted during the pandemic. Hey there, it's Laura. Wanted to quickly pop in to let you know how much I appreciate your being here. I know there are a million podcasts you could be listening to, and I'm so glad you're spending time with us. If you're finding value in the show, we'd be grateful if you supported it by buying us a coffee. That's right. It couldn't be simpler. Visit buymeacoffee.com slash she knows the way to support our work for the price of a cup of coffee. That's buymeacoffee.com slash she knows the way. And thanks. Welcome back. Before the break, we talked about the awkwardness of being in large groups of people again and how we're showing up for ourselves and for new people we meet. But no matter how centered you are, what happens when your center sparks friction with someone else's? Or when aligning with your center has tugged you away from someone you love? I wanted to talk about reconnecting with people we'd lost touch with, too. I feel like it's only in the last couple couple weeks even that I feel like I am have sort of like the brain cells or the bandwidth or like the emotional bearings to do any repair or like reconnection on some of those relationships that have drifted or relationships that just got awkward because we approached COVID really differently and safety really differently. I was 
contrary to the wedding story, I think like really annoyingly cloistered, <laughs> annoying to many of my friends perhaps. And that, yeah, that just changed some dynamics. And I, I haven't, I don't know, I don't want to like overrepresent what I've done. I feel like I haven't taken any real action here yet, but I, I don't know, I just sort of, it's, it's just starting to be in the realm of possibility for me now to even consider like, okay, how do I have a responsible and loving conversation with any of these people who I might want to repair our one-on-one relationship? Or just say the truth about what a one-on-one relationship is too. I think that's kind of what it is for some of these. Right. Yeah, what's the, I'm curious about what the hesitation is. Like, I get it, but I'm just curious in your words what the hesitation is. Deep avoidance of conflict. Um, <laughs> just like. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, very, um, very relatable. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of like, there. there's also like an old version of myself that who I think was maybe like more practiced at these hard conversations. Like, I think that's a part of myself that feels a bit rusty. <laughs> lately. And so, yeah, it feels like there's an opportunity there too, to reconnect with a a part of myself that feels like really truthful and really brave. And you can, I don't know, say the truth and feel loving at the same time. Um, And I think, yeah, maybe part of what is there too, is just this like, not just COVID, but like everything COVID showed us about like how connected we all are to each other. Like that's part of the information that like lives in our bones now. (laughs) And so yeah, so I, I'm I'm not really like comfy with just like cutting people off or being like, well, like it's okay if we drift and never talk about it, you know. Like I think actually having these conversations is a part of or is one way to sort of like honor that that thing that we can never deny from here on out. Um, I'm right. like connecting yeah. these things for the first time. This is really helpful, guys. <laughs> it's like therapy. Right. Yeah. therapy. <laughs> it's like therapy. Are you Esther Perel? <laughs> <laughs> No, but I really respect that. I respect, I really respect that you're not willing to just let them disappear. Like, or not without a fair shot, like not without a conversation, at least, you know, I think it's okay if people go their own way, but. Right. But acknowledging that and being intentional about it. Well, as you were sharing, Jen, this image in my mind came of like the, like the space re-entry process, you know? Where you're like in a, you're out like in outer space. 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 You've been outer, yeah, exactly. Space, space. You're out there. You're you're an astronaut. You're having your own experience for you know two years or more, and then you reach that point where you have to re-enter. You know, gravity, like the Earth, gravity, like things that you can't avoid, truths that are just you know undeniable, and it's like fiery. It's like bumpy and you actually don't know where you'll land. And I feel like that's kind of what was coming up for me when you were sharing about your experience. I love that analogy. That's so good. It's yeah. Yeah. It is. It's like reentry on the space shuttle. Yeah. It is, yeah. It is just as intrepid for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, I need a seatbelt for this. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe like a ground control crew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just want to pause here to say, again, could there be a better analogy for the bumpy ride we're on as we emerge right now? But it made me wonder, what are the seatbelts and who or what is our ground crew? In other words, how do we stay grounded during our reentry? The thing that was coming up for me was like, I feel like reconnection to ourselves would need to happen before we can reconnect with others. 
At least that seems to me like my personal practice. And even in what I heard you share, Laura, about like taking time, setting yourself aside to nurture yourself and care for yourself before engaging with others. I think being able to recognize that that's what you need and being aware of when you need it. I think that's a really powerful tool for reentry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just those for me, like mindfulness practices, like, you know, meditation and running and, you know, do you all have any other practices like that that are especially helpful right now? I, I feel like I have spent a lot of time within, you know, the confines of my brain. I ha- and I, I feel lucky to have had space to reconnect with myself. And I think there's, a, yeah, there's like a little bit of a practice of vulnerability that I've been missing. Um, I'm realizing right now it might also just be a craving to like, kind of like talk things out a bit more too, like just some, some good old fashioned verbal journaling, (laughs) even in like little tiny ways of teaspooning out sort of like what's on my mind that I can't shake lately. And just sharing that a little more openly with people. I think, um, I I don't know. I think I want to, I'm ready to like reintroduce that tool to my toolbox. Yeah. What about your tools? Oh, me? Yeah. Yeah. No, just, I mean, honestly, the meditation is the most regular one. I mean, I, I've been lucky to have had a regular meditation practice for probably almost 10 years and it's not every single day, but it's pretty close and it could be for five minutes and that's fine, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and there are other days where I don't actually sit, but where like my running becomes my meditation or my, you know, cooking or making my pour over coffee in the morning, right? Mm -hmm. All of those things can become moments of mindfulness. And I, I just sort of rotate those in instead of, you know, forcing myself to, to do an actual sitting meditation if I don't feel like doing that that day. But I think, yeah, I mean, I've noticed, you know, for me, it allows me to recenter much more quickly. It's like when I'm not doing it regularly, I'm not able to kind of reset in the moment very easily. You know, Mm -hmm. whereas when I am doing it, I can sort of notice that my that my thoughts are sort of spinning out and be like, oh, okay, I'm just going to observe that for a minute and kind of come back to to a middle ground. And I think in these situations, you know, where we are encountering uncomfortable moments with other people, whatever, like for me, it allows me to, um, well, just like I was saying earlier with that conference to show up as me or show up in a way that feels good, like how I want to show up in the world. Mm -hmm. Speaking of being sort of thrown off balance, you know, Michaela, you moved to a new city in the middle of all of this. How was that or how has that informed how you're re-entering the world now, if that makes sense? Yeah. Well, I feel like there's this like extra beginner's mind <laughs> that comes with re-emerging in a new city well, you don't, I, I knew one person when I moved here. So yeah, just like this, yeah. like wide-eyed, curious, but cautious. Um, I'm, I'm the youngest child. So I notice in most situations that I am like the observer. I'm just like, I'll be a wallflower for a while because I'm scoping it out. I'm like noticing and trying to understand where I could move in <laughs> for a connection. And so that has still been my strategy. You know, tomorrow is actually my one-year anniversary. So it was April 14th of last year. Nice. Congratulations. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's still really new. Very, yeah, very new. But I feel like I just, now I know 
I know how to get around. I know my spots. So, you know, I feel like a year feels like a good, you know, I feel like I should almost get like a lapel pin or something to show that I've graduated. <laughs> I've made it through one Michigan winter. <laughs> While Michaela took her existing work to a brand new city, Jennifer was in the middle of a career change when the pandemic took hold. And she had just moved back to her hometown of Cincinnati, Ohio with big plans to explore a new version of her professional self. That has certainly shaped the last couple of years for me. And it's just been a really hard time to make friends. I have a couple of friends from high school, but like everyone sort of ended up with their own set of like risk comfort and just rhythms that they kind of got into with, with their own pandemic life. And yeah, it's, it's nice. I've just sort of gotten back in touch with one of those high school friends and he, like, he's had like two kids over the course of the pandemic and I get to meet them now and it's, that's all great. So it's, it's sort of nice to see that, I don't know, there's just like life on the other, on the other side of this. And yeah, a, a conversation that I'm, having with my parents too right now is sort of like, so I lived in Baltimore for a long time before I moved back to Cincinnati. And that's like where my whole adult life was after college really. And uh, yeah, there's definitely like sort of like a mental path I go down of like, what's the pandemic I would have had in Baltimore? <laughs> and it, you know, it might've been different. It might've looked more similar than I realized, but yeah, I don't know. I'm feeling sort of like a restlessness for, um, for that home, a longing for that home for sure. And, and, and that creates a question for me about like, when do I know it's okay to leave here? Like, what do I need? Is there a threshold I need to cross in my relationship to Cincinnati that means it's okay to leave? I have had a similar thought about, um, well, about every place I've lived, which isn't that many when I think about it, but like, you know, in my adult life, it's mostly been Seattle and New York. And I have since before the pandemic wondered what that threshold might be that it's time to move on from Seattle and, and it still hasn't happened. Like I, you know, so I don't know, I was thinking about it recently as I started to travel again and, and wondering if really the answer isn't so much where my home base is and more about, for me, travel has always been really important. And so mm -hmm. now that we're able to do that a little bit more, maybe it's more about, it's not about like where the, my physical stuff is. It's just that I'm out in the world more. And yeah. so it doesn't even, matter and I maybe need to stop obsessing about like should I be living in Seattle or should I be living somewhere else because living somewhere when you enjoy traveling what does that even mean mm. I think it came up for so much for me over the past two years because we couldn't travel mm. right and so I was like oh my gosh why am I in this place like this one place all the time there's a way in which it feels like now that there is the option for things to change why not? <laughs> sort of like now that I, I feel like I can think about the possibility of, of changing something massive, like where I live. I, I don't know that has some appeal to it. Um, and yeah, Laura, to your point, I think there's a, a counterpoint in that conversation where it's like, maybe I don't need to change something as massive as my city. Maybe I just need a different apartment. That's not the apartment where I've lived for two years straight all day, every day. And <laughs> A little bit is this feeling of like, I have a sense or an imagined sense that like other people have had more social pandemics than I have. And there's sort of a sense of like feeling behind in that way. Mm. I think really when I think about it, like if, if I were to move back to Baltimore, it would be sort of a way to like solve for that. Like I have really dear friends who are still there and it would, you know, it's a way to sort of like skip 
how much work it takes to make a new friend in adulthood. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. This is again That's real. really helpful. Like <laughs> really getting clear on some things, guys. Um, oh, I'm so glad. Um, Michaela, I'm curious about how you're thinking about the your future in Detroit. You know, you made a very intentional choice to move there. Yeah. I guess I feel both like I'm on an adventure, and I don't have a like deadline. I think part of Mm. me is just kind of willing for the adventure to be revealed to me and embracing that, embracing the unknown is kind of what this whole experience has been about and just being comfortable not knowing, (laughs) which is the most difficult part I would say about this whole thing is like getting comfortable not having the answer to what's going to happen next year or all of those things. And so I guess in terms of how am I thinking about my future in terms of place, I personally feel like you can't know a place, you can't know if you like someplace or not, unless you're there for at least two years. That's just my personal kind of benchmark. But then it's also like, how much effort did I personally put in to determining whether or not this is my place and my people? Mm -hmm. And so I guess I'm really trying to be action oriented in this place and perhaps less passive than I've been in the past in terms of putting myself out there, you know, as an adult looking for friends, (laughs) you know, like being, being more, um, I don't want to say a more outgoing version of myself, but just being a more self-assured version of myself that you know, I did this, I moved here, I'm here for a reason. And so just, you know, the image in my mind is always like an outstretched hand. (laughs) And just being the outstretched hand in this place, Mm. for however long it feels good, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that, that moving forward, when things are uncertain, you can't predict the future, just what you were, you know, you were saying, being comfortable with that degree of uncertainty. It's been so interesting, because I mean, let's be honest, that was always there. We had just deluded ourselves into thinking that we were in control. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's just reminding me of something. So there's this wisdom teacher named John Kabat-Zinn. He spoke at this conference I was at last week. And he said, no moment is more important than another moment, which I thought was so powerful because we spend so much of our lives living in the past and in the future, thinking that those moments are more important somehow, right? The past is more important as we're reminiscing on what we used to have or who we used to know. And the future is more important because maybe things will be better than they are now or you know, I'll meet someone that I don't know now that'll change my life or you know, whatever it is. Whereas we undervalue what's happening right now. And it was just such a beautiful way to say that. No moment is more important than another moment. Yeah. You know, I don't know why that came up for me, but just in this, I guess, related to sort of uncertainty, because I guess it came up for me because it's like, well, does it matter? Because if we can live here now, then the uncertainty doesn't matter. Right. right? Yeah. It's, I don't know why that's so hard, but it is. It is hard because I think our brains are always predicting. They're either predicting or they're in the past. And so I, in my personal practice, I have found that, yeah, practicing mindfulness has been a way for me to notice when my brain is in prediction or when my brain is in the past. So I can begin to pull myself into the present moment, 
because that's where we have the most power. Like we can change what happens right now. We can't change what happens in the past. And so that, that awareness for me has been such a game changer in my interactions with people. And then also how I treat myself, like how I, how I talk to myself in a moment or how I respond. And I think that that has been, yeah, it's just, it's helped, it's helped me make better decisions in my life. I wonder, you know, as we're kind of coming to a close, what you would say to listeners who are, um, yeah, just just sticking their toe in the water of <laughs> of the world again. Like, what what advice would you would you give them? I think one thing I would say is, yeah, determine what safety means for you. Like, everyone has their own level of safety. How can you create safety? for yourself, in yourself, all around you. And then perhaps like what is one creative challenge that you can give yourself to push push yourself a little bit like outside of that comfort zone. Like not not anything extraordinary, but just like a creative challenge, you know, to to not always be in the same place or not always talk to the same people within the, you know, within the realm of safety that you have. Yeah. I'm just like basking in the gift of, of permission to take care of ourselves to be safe. And yeah, a wholehearted second to that. And and would add that it's okay to talk about that too. And it's it's okay for it to be a little awkward. And I'm just remembering in this moment, Priya Parker, this um, expert on gathering and the gift it is to, to people to be the one to define the bounds of like, mm. this is how we're going to navigate this, or this is what I'm comfortable with. And that those, you know, those boundaries might change for you personally, depending on the event or depending on who you're with or, or day to day. But I'm noticing that I feel just a lot more comfortable emerging into something if it's clear what the deal is <laughs> and what everybody else's deal inside the deal is. Just, yeah, just from a safety perspective. Yeah, I love that. And I think allowing yourself to ask for help when you need it, whether that help is just talking through it, like you said, Jen, mm -hmm. or asking for something that you need to feel safe or or whatever. So thank you all so much. This was so fun. I left this conversation feeling like, yep, life is messy right now for all of us. As we reemerge into this changed world as our changed selves, well, I'm not sure there's any other option but messy. Like that fiery and bumpy re-entry from space that Michaela mentioned. But as many wise folks have said, we can do hard things, even return from space. Special thanks to Michaela Ayers and Jennifer McCord for joining me for this episode. I appreciate you both so much. If you'd like to connect with Michaela, visit nourish.community. That's N-O-U-R-I-S-H dot community. And you can connect with Jen at audiogen.com. That's audiogen.com. She Knows the Way will be back in four weeks. I'm going on vacation tomorrow, y'all. In our next episode, we'll hear from financial behaviorist Jackette Timmons about redefining financial security during a pandemic, how having fewer options amplifies our creativity, and why success with money is never just about the money. Always remember, even in the most challenging of situations, and even if you don't like the options that are available to you, you are always in a moment of choice. 
And money needs you to give it direction and it needs you to choose what is it that you want to do? What is its role in your life? How do you want it to fulfill that in your life? This episode of She Knows the Way was produced and edited by me, Laura Dolch, with help from Jennifer McCord. For more episodes, hit subscribe or follow wherever you're listening right now. And if you'd like to stay in touch, email us at hello at lauradolch.com to tell us about your most awkward moment of introduction in the past few months. Finally, if you know someone who could use a reminder that they're not the only one stumbling through reentry, please send this episode their way. Until next time, trust that you know the way. Actually, sorry, my dog is chewing on a bone and it's kind of loud. That's okay. I like the ambient, you know, the like, it's like the mood noise. Okay. Well, that's Caroline and she's our mood noise. <laughs> Hi, Beth. She's coming over now. I love it. Yay. <laughs> yes, we're talking about her. Hi, Caroline. Hey, it's Lara. Before you go, I want to tell you about another podcast you might like. It's called Surfing Corporate. The Surfing Corporate podcast tackles the everyday struggles of working in corporate America through research, empathy, and a slightly evil sense of humor. Fueled by many years of corporate experience and a little bit of deep trauma, former media executives Eileen Murciel and Glenda Pakinens talk with directors, VPs, and C-suite executives from a wide range of industries to discuss what really goes on behind fancy corporate doors. They also provide practical advice to employees who are currently navigating turbulent corporate waters. Check out Surfing Corporate wherever you get your podcasts.